Just so excited again to be here this morning with you guys and so excited to bring this word. I think a couple weeks ago I said, hey, I don't know that we're in a series. Well, we might be in a series. And basically what it is, I just never named it. But there's definitely a a common thread or thought that's been around these past three weeks. And as I sat down to to pray, God, what would please you this morning? What do you you want us to hear from you this morning? He um, drew me to Genesis 3. And I didn't know that wasn't necessarily part of the plan uh, when I set out for this thing, but it's apparently the plan for this morning, and I'm just so excited about this word. I love um, the book of Genesis, and I love the story, and I know maybe if you've heard it, you're like, well, that's kind of weird, but hopefully when we get to the end of it, you will love this story like I do, but um, since Genesis 3 is kind of towards the beginning of the book, let's just maybe set some context around what's happening so far in the story. Um, Genesis 1.1, there's this amazing introduction that happens. It says, in the beginning, um, God. They introduced to us just a few words in the main character of everything we're about to read for the next 65 books and the rest of this one. There's one main character, one main thought, one main idea, and it's one main story. And that story is not the story of Adam and Eve or the story of, of David and Goliath or any other story that you may have heard. It's, it's one story around one character, and that character is God. This whole book, even I think Esther, which doesn't even really mention God, is, is, a, is a story about this God. And what it tells us is not only like what God does in history, but who God is. It reveals to us the character of this, this being, this God, over the next however many pages are in your Bible. A whole bunch, yeah. And tells us in, in Genesis 1 that this character, this God, he created everything over the next six days. Everything that ever, ever existed <laughs> it comes into existence by this God. It shows us how in order, in, in perfect thought, he creates everything. And then at the end of that, um, he plants a garden. Chapter 2, he plants this garden, and in this garden he puts a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, as we know them. And it's kind of amazing. God shows up every day in this garden to spend time with Adam and Eve. There's this garden, which is God's space, and he's invited man and woman to live inside of God's space with God. Can you imagine that? Like living in this garden, and every day like God just shows up and he hangs out with you for a while. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you, can you imagine that? Like this guy who created everything, who breathed everything into existence, and you were there pretty early in the story. He shows up every single day, and, and he meets with you. And you know, like, this is the guy that created everything, and he's here with me, part of his creation in the garden. And, and God would meet with them, and they'd have this relationship, this intimacy with God, and they would, they would talk and probably hug. And they would maybe when God would come into the garden, there would be this excitement, hey, like, like a dad coming home from work, dad's here. And they would run up to God, what are we going to do today, God? What are you going to show us today? And God would, you know, trot out some part of creation, and he'd be like, hey, what do you, you want to call that? We won't call that thing. You imagine like the first time seeing a giraffe. That's my favorite animal, by the way. That's why I use it so often. Have you ever seen a giraffe run? Like it shouldn't work, but it does. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. And, and they would trot out this animal. And he said, what, what do you want to call that? I made this for you to enjoy. What do you, what do you want to call it? Can you imagine that relationship, how amazing that would be? Like if you knew today, like when I go home, God's going to show up at like 3 o'clock. He's going to knock on the door. It would be amazing. There would be like this excitement that would come with that. And every day in the garden, this would be the scene. And that's pretty much like what it tells us in the first two chapters, except for this one verse, which maybe for some of you is going to be awkward, but it's so important to the story today. The last... um, verse in two says both the man and his wife were naked yet they felt no shame they were naked and unashamed i know like maybe like i said that's kind of awkward for some of you but i just want you to wrap with me this morning your mind around the fact that there was no shame there was no shame in in the garden In, in god's space with god there was no shame can you imagine that like, I know maybe for some of you, 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 I don't know, I can't really imagine anybody not knowing what shame feels like, but maybe some of you it's been a distant past thing, but I can't imagine no shame, but we were not meant to experience, made to experience shame. It wasn't a thing. 
And in the garden before, you know, next verse, we messed everything up, there was none of that. And that's how it ends this perfect story of what God has done. Everything after this, imperfection comes, but in God's space with God, this is, this is the environment. We get that for about two chapters, and then chapter three starts, and it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord had made. Um, I know serpent we think about a lot of times as a snake, but just so we're all on the same page, here's the definition of serpent. Maybe. There we go. Serpent. I'm going to turn around and read it because it's small back there. Serpent is a large snake. Um, That's subjective, right? To me, any snake is larger than I want it to be. Um, But it's a big one. Or, and I love this, um, a sly or treacherous person, especially one who exploits a position of trust in order to betray it. This is the definition of serpent. Now, I'm not arguing with you today that this wasn't a snake. I do believe it probably was a snake, but I believe it's a snake that held these qualities, this character. It was a snake that was a sly or treacherous snake. And I love this, especially one who exploits a position of trust in order to betray it. Every interaction Adam and Eve had ever had with an animal, part of God's creation to this point in time that we know of, has been positive, right? God trots it out. Hey, what do you want to call this? Hey, what do you want to do with this? You know, this is, this is something God made. And here in the garden is something God has made. It's something God has made that apparently has not such great character. This serpent was, was also cunning. Do we have cunning back there? having or showing skill in achieving one's ends by deceit or evasion. In other words, it's lion, snake, dirty, rotten lion, snake. Um, but two, it says that it's, it's attractive. Never thought about that? I don't look at snakes and think, oh, that's beautiful. Let me hold that. I need 17 of those in my house. Maybe you do, um, but that isn't me. Um, but I always like look at that and I'm like, hey, this is kind of a weird story, right? Like there's this snake, he comes up and he starts talking like I'm out of the game right there. <laughs> you know, like that's weird. But th- there was uh, no reason to not trust this snake, right? Like there's this innocence that's happening in the garden. They've, they've been interacting with God's creation in a positive manner. Here comes the snake, and, and he has a character, and, and it's clear in verse 1 that this snake's character is not good. It's, it's one that is lying and deceit, and he, he wants destruction, but they don't know that. But I think it's important that we see, like, there, there is this snake, and this snake has a character. The snake's character is to lie with the intent to destroy. The snake is not your friend. It may be beautiful. It may look like it's good. It may look entertaining. It even may look attractive. But at the end, the character of the snake is is one that that wants to lie and destroy. And it says, The serpent is the most cunning of all the wild animals, but I want you to hear this, that the Lord God had made. The serpent, in his poor character, is a serpent or snake that God had created. Like everything else that was made, he was made. Now, we know if we've ever heard the story that the serpent is the enemy, right? Not a good guy. Like if you're maybe one verse in and you've never heard this before, I'm going to spoil the rest for you. He's bad. Not good. He, he wants to destroy them. He wants bad for them. And a lot of times we like superimpose the name of the devil here on the snake. And, and the same character, right? Not some little red dude, ears, pitchfork, you know, like pointy tail, but, but attractive. Looks like he's got good stuff. Looks like we want to play in his toy box. Like that's the guy. But his character is one that he wants to destroy us. But I just want you to hear today that he is also part of creation. And he's created. And we could get hung up on why would God create that. And if you, you want to have that conversation after church, come talk to me. I'll be glad to have that conversation with you. But I think most importantly today, we need to realize that he is created. Now, now why is that important to us? Because... 
I think sometimes we get in our brains that like God and the devil are in this like cosmic arm wrestling match and like they're they're like locked in a stalemate and they have been for like years and years and years and years and just maybe one day like if we pray enough like God will get the upper hand and he'll push the hand down. That's not how it works with God in creation. If God is powerful to make it, right, he's powerful enough to destroy it. Like, right, like your parents have said, like, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. Like, that's, God and the devil can have that conversation at any point in time. Like, he is part of creation. He, he doesn't have any real power except for what God gives him. He doesn't have any real ability or skill except for what God's given him. And maybe to us, he looks like this big bad dude. But, but to God, he, he's just like a, a flea, right? Like, he's, he's a nothing on the radar, in the power and scope of God. And I just feel like that's important today because I think we need to get that frame of mind in the right spot. We need to get our vision wrapped around that idea. We have to realize that, A, he's the enemy. Now, I know we know that, but right, we want to play in his toy box all the time. He's the enemy. He wants to destroy us. Fast forward, right? I think it's 1 Peter, 2 Peter, somewhere in there. The, the devil is a raving, roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't really go up against a lion. My God can. No big deal. But he's not here to play. He's not here to like be some pet in the house. He's here to destroy. And his character is one that says, I look good, but I will kill you. He's a snake, and he's a venomous snake, right? And it says that this snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And this snake said to the woman. Now, again, like I stated earlier, this is where I'm kind of (laughs) out. Hold on, wait. Snakes don't talk. That's weird, right? Like, this shouldn't be a thing. Now, I'm not saying this is like Narnia and everything that in the, is in the garden talks, but I am saying that this isn't weird for her, apparently, because she didn't like, hey, objection. Like, she, there's none of that here. So who knows, right? But this snake talks, and she's not very weirded out about it. So there, there's a talking snake in the garden, and Eve's just totally okay with that. And the snake says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He asked a question. Now, this question at first just seems like a normal question, right? Hey, this question, did God say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? But this is a question with a motive. There's something happening here that that, that really, if we can get to, we can maybe even figure out how the character of this serpent works in our lives. What, What is he doing? On the surface, he's asking a question. What is he really doing? He's questioning God's word. Did God say... That there was something in this garden you couldn't eat. Is God keeping something from you? Is there, is there like, is God not providing well enough for you? Is there something that you're not allowed to have in this garden? Are you, you going to go hungry in this garden? Now, that's a silly idea. He can eat of any tree, if you read chapter 2, in the garden, except from the trees in the middle of the garden. They ain't going to go hungry. There's some amazing fruit in the garden, right? Like there's some really good stuff that grows in God's garden. But, but, but here comes this serpent, and he comes in, and he's attractive, and he's talking, which is weird, and he's cunning, which means we don't know that he's lying. There's a presumed innocence here. And this serpent says, hey, um, question. Is, is there something in this garden you can't eat? Did God, did God really say that? What is he trying to do? He's trying to degrade the character of God. Ultimately, this is not a story of I can eat off that tree and I can't eat off that tree. There's something deeper happening here. And the serpent comes in with his lion tongue and he says, hey, um, question, is God keeping something from you? Then the woman said to the serpent, "Um, actually, let me quote you Genesis 2, whatever verse that is. um, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. She quotes like word for word what the word of God says. And I just want to say to us today, knowing the word and quoting the word will not be enough if we never follow the word, right? 
<laughs> she's, she knows the word of God, right? Like, I know God said this. I can quote it word for word. I'm not allowed to eat it. I'm not allowed to touch it. Any tree in the garden I can have, but the one in the middle I cannot have. She can quote it. Probably said it in, in the Hebrew. But as we know, she's about to, to not follow it. It's not about just knowing it, is it? So she quotes it, which is kind of amazing because she knows exactly what God says. And then the snake in four says, no, you will not die. Now, this is just like a flat out lie, right? No, you won't die. You're not going to die. You don't, Whatever. You don't have to worry about that. But there's something deeper happening here, isn't it? It's, it goes beyond, oh, this snake is a liar. He's giving her this option now to believe either God or the snake. See, she knows exactly what God has said. Don't eat of the tree or touch the tree. If you eat of the tree or touch the tree, you're going to die. And the snake comes up. Hey, we just met 30 seconds ago. And he says, no, you're not going to die. And now there's this choice of, is God lying to me? Should I believe God or should I believe the snake that we just met that talks? Because he's pretty, right? Now we laugh, but you just change fruit and put you in the story. We have the same story. But what is he doing here again? He's yet again degrading the character of God. God, God's not telling you the truth. What, What is that? What, what is that if somebody doesn't tell the truth? They're a liar. What's he calling God? God's a liar. God ain't going to kill you. A loving God, let's translate it to today, a loving God wouldn't do that. If God really loves you, if he really cares about you, he wouldn't kill you. Even though he said he'd kill you, he wouldn't kill you. Because he's a liar. He, he didn't really mean that. That was for people way back then, right? Like He, he didn't mean that. That was before, like three days ago. That was for a different time and different people. Well, same people, but different time. Like, we do, we do the same things, right? Well, what is that? God is a liar. He's not serious about what he says. This snake comes in, and he's degrading the character of God. Yet again, because that's all he has. He can't make himself better, so he's got to make God look worse. And he says, nope, God's a liar. You won't die. And then the serpent said to the woman, in fact, listen to this, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he saying? God doesn't want you to be like God. If you get like God, if you, if you get like God, then God can't really be as God anymore, right? Like you, you, you're gonna be the same, you're gonna be equals. God's trying to keep something from you is what he's saying. God's mean. God's hateful, God's jealous, God, God, God's afraid. He's again degrading the character of God. So now he's, he's walked in and in just a few verses we've come from, can I get you to question the word of God? And he's got us past, I know the word of God and can quote the word of God. And he's taken us into a place of God's a liar and then beyond God's a liar, God's motivated by evil. He's mean. He's trying to keep things from you. What is he doing? He's degrading the character of God. Now, just moments ago, right, we were so excited. God's coming to the garden. We're going to hang out with God. God's going to show me things. They're in a place of I am amazed by God. I love God, I want to be with God, I want to hang out with God, I want to see God, I just can't wait till God gets here. And then the snake comes in and he's like, well, you can't have that. We can't have you thinking God is amazing. We can't have you thinking God is great. I don't care if you know the word of God and can quote the word of God, the snake is not concerned about that. He is not concerned about, can we come to church? He's not concerned about singing songs. He doesn't care if you sing songs. You can sing songs. You can listen to Caleb. You can get all the Jesus t-shirts. You can memorize the Bible. You can learn it in Hebrew and Greek. doesn't matter to him. But he does not want you to see God as amazing. He does not want you to see God as valuable. He does not want you to see God as the only thing worth our attention and our affection. He does not want that. So he slithers up into the story, and what he tries to do is he tries to point at these other things. Hey, 
Why doesn't God want you to have that? Did God really say you couldn't do that or was that for them? Did God really mean that when he said that? Or like, man, that, I don't know about all that. I don't know, I don't know if he meant that. That sounds strict. That sounds legalistic. I don't think God meant any of that. Actually, God's just trying to be a fun sucker. God does not like the party. God does not like fun. God does not, God invented fun. Do you get that? Like there was no fun and then God came and he made fun. That's how, God's not against fun. But he comes in and he tries to convince us that God is keeping something amazing from us. And what he's trying to do is say, God's not that good. God's not that great. God's not really that amazing. There's other things, part of creation, that are better than the God who made them. Is that really so different than what he does today? I mean, really, right? Like we could just, it's not Eve anymore, it's Brad, and it's not fruit anymore, it's something else. I thought I was going to tell you. That's what he does. And just like a few words in, she is so twisted up. Listen to this. It says in six, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Her perspective changed. Now you could say her perspective on the fruit changed, but I don't think that's true. I think her perspective changed, but I think her perspective of God changed. And when God became less, everything else become more. God's not the supreme authority in my life anymore. God's a mean man that tries to keep me from having fun. Why can't I have that fruit? See, it all comes out of that heart, doesn't it? I used to be sitting around waiting on God, but I didn't know God was keeping things from me. So now, who cares when he shows up? I want that fruit. It doesn't flow out of a heart of fruit is really good, right? Because you can make an argument, fruit's healthy. It's God fruit, it probably tastes amazing. God isn't concerned about fruit. There's a deeper issue. And the deeper issue is as her perspective of who God is fell, her perspective of creation was elevated. And now, for the first time, she looked at that tree and her eyes were open to, hey, I want that. I mean, wisdom's good, right? So it says she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, have you ever caught that, who was with her? Adam's just sitting here at the tree watching this whole thing go down. That's a good point. Man, I'd never thought of that before. God's man supposed to tend the garden. Failing at what God had called him to do. Because he sat there and let somebody else be influenced by this degrading lying snake. So she took the fruit and she ate it and she gets the bad rap, but Adam is just as bad, if not worse. Sorry, women, for all the jokes we've give you. If we'd have done our thing, you might not have done your thing. It was our fault. That's all right. I'll take it. It's all right. Because they both knew what God had said. And they both decided that this snake they met 30 seconds ago was more right than the God they'd walked with for however long. They'd walked with him. And it says, he ate it, and she ate it. And it says in seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened. This part, right? Innocence was destroyed right here. 
We used to not know what was good and evil, and then we do. We just relied on what God said was good and evil, and now, like, we get to choose, right? And it says, and they knew they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now, I don't know if you've ever, like, tried to weave plants together. It doesn't work well for me. Um, ever taken a leaf and just poked like, the stem through another leaf? The leaf just rips, right? It doesn't, I don't even know what this thing would look like, but I know it was pitiful. They realized they were naked and they felt what? Shame. So they tried to make a covering to cover their shame and it was a pitiful covering because we don't have the ability to cover our shame. Isn't it amazing the first thought was not, oh man, I shouldn't eat that fruit. It was, oh man, I'm naked. The second thing I think that's amazing about that is God hadn't even rolled up yet, right? Not only did sin and disobeying God create a barrier between man and God, it created a barrier between man and woman. See, they they didn't even trust each other at this point in time. There, there was shame between themselves at this point in time. It wasn't like, oh, I hope the rhinos don't see me naked. It was, oh man, she's looking at me. So they try to cover up their shame. It says in eight, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Now, I think this is amazing because they were not the only two people in the garden, like with some trees, right? Like there were other things there. There was other parts of creation there. And they knew what it sounded like for God's footsteps to be in the garden. There was an intimacy there where they knew, like when they heard God's foot hit the ground, that it was a different sound than to hear any other thing's foot hit the ground. That, that's intimacy right there. That's, that's knowing somebody right there. I know how they walk. There are very few people on the planet that I can like hear coming down the hallway and not look and be like, oh, it's probably them. But those people that I know that about, like I'm very rarely ever wrong. It's usually people that I've been around a whole lot. And this is the relationship they, they, they would have had with God. And here the, the, they hear God coming and it's the same time of day that he normally comes But then something happened that had never happened before. Normally they would run to God with excitement and it says this time for the first time they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid from God. Can you you imagine that? Now, here's all-knowing God, knows everything, coming to the garden that day. He knows they've eaten of fruit. He knows they're gonna hide. He knows they used to have this intimacy. Can you imagine the dread in that moment? I don't know that I want to go to the garden today because it's going to be different. They, they, they used to run to me and now for the first time they're going to run away from me. Can you imagine the heartbreak in that moment as God come into the garden? He, he knew it was going to happen. It says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He knew the snake was coming and he knew the lies were coming and he knew they were going to believe things about God that just were not true about God. He knew the amazement was going to be gone and, and he went to the garden that day anyway. Man, doesn't that say something about the character of God? Why would God go? If he knew, why would he go? They didn't listen to me. They believed things about me that are not true. Why why would God do that? There's something about the character of God in this moment. It says he got to the garden and they were hiding. So the Lord God called out to the man. He said to him, where are you? Now, I I love this because I believe God knows everything. And it says in uh, Hebrews, like we read a few weeks ago, that no creature is hidden from him. So he knew exactly where Adam was. Adam was probably like on the other side of this. And he's like, hey, where you at, Adam? But God calls out to him. Doesn't that say something about the character of this God? See, our God is a God who pursues in the midst of our sin, right? 
I wonder what the time lapse here between like the I ate the fruit and the God showed up was. I don't think it was long probably. So they sin and God shows up. God walks into the garden. He walks into this place and he he knows what's happened. and And he calls out to Adam and he's like, Adam, where are you at? Maybe a question he's asking some of us today. You know, maybe we always equate that to salvation, but maybe God's saying to us today because we've believed in, in these lies, where are you at? Used to be really close to me. Where are you at? Used to run to me, but now you're running away from me. Where are you at? Where are you? And he said, he being Adam, I heard you in the garden, and listen to this, never before I was afraid. There was never a need for fear of God before. Always joy. Always this idea that we're going to be together and this is what fulfills me. Always before. And here sin came and immediately following that shame came and then shame brought fear. And I was naked. I was in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. Listen to those words. Why was he afraid? Not because he ate the fruit. He's not even talking about fruit. I was afraid because I was naked. See, the sin caused the shame, but the shame brought the separation. Shame causes us to do what? To run from God in fear. I want you to hear that again. Shame causes us to run from God in fear. You ever, you ever thought, man, after what I just did, I can't pray. God doesn't want to hear from me. There's a recognition that I have sinned, but what, what is the thing that drives us to not pray? It's shame. Always comes with sin. Man, I can't read my Bible tonight. God doesn't want to hear from me. Not after that. You ever been there? You ever thought that before? Well, what is that? It's, it's that shame that sin brings. Sin brings shame. And shame causes us to run and hide from God. And here's what God says. He says, who told you that you were naked? Who said that? You didn't even know what that word was. And no concept of naked. And then he asked, and I love it when God asks questions he already knows the answers to. Did you eat from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? What is God trying to do? Okay, you're naked, whatever. Let's get to the root. I didn't care about clothes in two. I don't care about clothes now. See, God is, is not at all worried about like the shame, right? He's like, let's plow through the shame so we can get to the other thing. Did you eat from the tree? What's God one? Tell me. Tell me you ate from the tree. I just I just confess it. Just tell me right now. Tell me you ate from the tree. Then the man replied, look what he does. I wonder what the conversation would have been like if he'd have been like, God, I ate from that tree, and I'm so sorry. But he says, that woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit, and I ate it. Oh, yeah, I, dude, I didn't know what it was. I just, I, She just walked up. It was a trip. It was a trap. Yeah, I was sitting right there beside the tree, but we're not going to talk about that. But he's like, hey, Eve, come here. There's a bus coming. Lay down, right? Like, <laughs> but what else does he do? Who, who does he blame ultimately? God, you gave her to me. So, I mean, it's kind of your fault. I was in the garden minding my own business. We were hanging out. If you wouldn't have gave me that woman, I wouldn't have fallen into this. So if you think about it, you gave me the tools, man. It's your sin, right? His perspective of God is still so jacked up. He doesn't repent. He just passes the blame. 
We're good at that. I just want to put in here, um, no one can make you sin, right? There might be people that influence you that direction, but ultimately it's it's our choice. So it says the Lord God, he asked the woman, what, what is this you've done? What did you do? Tell me. Tell me your side. What's your step? Again, I wonder how the story would have went. God, I, I was there at the tree, snake come in. He said some stuff that I, I shouldn't have believed. I'm I'm sorry. I wonder how the conversation might have went had there been some actual repentance instead of just blaming something else. It was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate it. That's partially true. But we get to choose what lies we believe. In 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent what'd you do that's not there right (laughs) there's nowhere to pass the blame to at this point in time he's just gonna let him have it right so lord god says to the serpent because you've done this you are cursed more than any livestock it's like a little different conversation here and more than any wild animal you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life Now, I do, like, obviously we're talking about a snake here, but can you think about the person that we're talking about here, too? Well, what, is, what does this creature want more than anything else? Glory, fame. He's trying to deflate God so he can elevate himself. And what's God say? Oh, I made a bunch of stuff, brother, and you're going to the bottom of the barrel. And you don't get any glory and you don't get any fame. And then he says in 15, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I don't like snakes, so yes. Very, very real towards that, right? What is this actually? We've sinned. And what does God put right after the sin? There's this, there's this prophecy. There's this hope. And you, you came into to my creation and you started trying to degrade my name. And because of that, I want you to know, A, it's not going to work out well for you. Um, you you're going to get some time. You go try to elevate yourself. You do your thing. You try to... You try to get to the top, but at the end of the day, I want you to know you're going to be cursed more than all of creation. You're not going to get what you want. And then here's why, because I'm going to put hostility between your seed and her seed, and, and he is coming. You notice it's a capital H, right? He's coming. Oh, Jesus, yeah, he's he's coming. And... um. You're you're gonna pierce his heel. You're, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna inflict a wound. Um, but man, he's gonna stomp on your head. He's gonna deal the death blow. I want you to know you've come in and you've made a mess, but it's a mess that I'm very well prepared for because there is one that's coming. He's he's already it's been decided before I ever breathed you. He was there, and and we decided he's gonna come and he's gonna crush you. Isn't that amazing? Like, we, we get this little picture of prophecy in Genesis 3. Hey, sin happened for the very first time, and then right after sin comes this prophecy, there is hope. There, there is somebody coming to crush the snake. There's somebody coming to crush the snake. Now, he's already come for us, right? But this is something for Adam and Eve here to hold on to. There's this restorer that's coming. And if we'll put our hope in him and not in the snake, if we'll trust in him but not the serpent, man, there's something, there's something coming for us. There's some victory coming our way. And he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. Everybody that's a woman and had a baby, you can say thanks Eve there. Um, I wonder what it would have been like if not. Probably not very painful. If you ever watched an animal have babies, it's just kind of quick and painless, sounds like. You, you will beat children. 
or you will bear children. Don't beat children. You will bear children. I guess that's kind of true as well, right? Um, <laughs> you will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, that he will dominate you. And he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor. Now, this is not saying labor's bad. We were there to work the garden beforehand, but it's not going to be fun anymore. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until what? You return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. God is not a liar. It's not a liar. What, what did he, what do you say? If you eat of the tree or even touch it, you're going to die. What they do? They ate of the tree. What happened? They died. Immediately, spiritually, separation came. Spiritual death. Eventually, physical death. God is not a liar. Does it mean God doesn't love them? The answer is no. Um, it doesn't. What do you do immediately? Prophecy, right? Jesus is coming. There's this immediate idea that there was a redeemer coming it doesn't mean god doesn't love him it just means that god's not a liar god has a character and it's important that we know god's character if we know god's character we can know god god is not a liar but the snake is It says in 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. But then it says this in 21, the Lord God made clothing out of the skins for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Like what was the issue? What was it? What drove him away from God? shame because they were naked so what does God do at the end of this little story he covers them you don't have to try to cover yourself is what he's saying I will cover you why would he do that because God's trying to restore something in part here, right? He's given them a, an ability to be restored in part. And if you've read it, they're going to get kicked out of God's space. They're not going to live in God's space with God anymore. He's not coming to the garden every single day anymore. But he's, he's giving them th this, this little piece of ability. Because he's covering up the thing that caused them to run from God. And he's given the ability to run to God. God takes care of our shame. God takes care of our shame. That thing that's keeping you from God today, God takes care of our shame. He's not afraid of our shame. He's not afraid of our nakedness. He, he created us in a very visible way. Do you get that? God created us in a way that he would know everything about us, that he could, he could see. And it says no creature is hidden from him, but everything is naked and exposed in Hebrews. What it's saying is not every, God sees everybody naked, but he sees our heart. God sees the things about us that we don't even see about us. This is that God. He knows the, the deepest, darkest places of us, and he, he's provided a covering. How did he do that? Well, what did he say? He will come. He'll come. Who, who is he? He is Jesus. In the whole Old Testament, what they have to look forward to, there's somebody coming that's going to crush the snake. 
And we're not looking forward today. We have something to look backward to. God doesn't lie. He sent somebody to crush the snake and the snake has been crushed. That I love it, don't you? That when God takes care of our shame, he, he has to do something before that. Maybe something that we even forgot about. See, he got these skins from something, and you can make an argument. God's God. He could breathe out animal skins if he wanted to, but I believe what happened probably here is God made the very first sacrifice. And isn't it fitting if God made the very first sacrifice that he became the very last? God will cover our shame, but what God's more concerned about today is taking care of our sin. God's not afraid of our shame, and it's amazing that he's not because we can run to him with our sin if shame is not in the way. Do you, do you get today that it's such an amazing thing that we can come before God and we can say without fear of rejection, hey God, I've done this and I need your mercy and I need your grace. Isn't that amazing? The, the very darkest, the very, the very worst thing you've ever done that you hope nobody finds out about, our God is the God that says, I can take it today. I'm not afraid of your sin today. I, I, I'm asking today, where are you at? Where are you at? Because I want you to come. God created us with this idea of intimacy. God wants us to know him. And he wants us to be known by him. That's what perfect relationship with God looks like, that we would be in God's space with God. And one day for those of us that know him, we're going to step into God's space. And we're going to be with God forever. Isn't that amazing? But the more amazing thing about that to me today is God's allowing us today, through the blood of Jesus, to walk in to the throne room, to enter into God's space and to be God's people. Maybe not in the same way as it's gonna be, but in a way today. And today we can choose to believe the lies that's for them. We can choose to believe that God's some God that picks and chooses these people because he likes them better because they're church people more. We can choose to believe that. We can choose to believe God's a mean God and he's holding things back from us or he's put us in some position that's gonna keep us away from him forever, that he's destroyed our life. We can choose to believe that. From that snake we met 30 seconds ago. Or we can look around us and see the evidence that our God, the God who breathed out all of creation is a good God who's provided a way in his son, Jesus Christ, for every person to step into relationship and fellowship with God. He's trying to bring us all back to the garden. And he's already done all the work through the son. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you. God, we thank you. Because, God, we know that you have made a way. God, we can read the Old Testament and we can see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of how you're sending a Savior. And, God, that's what they had to look toward, God sending a Savior. But, God, here we are on the other side of the cross and we can look back and we can see God has already sent a Son. I'm not living in a moment of I really hope he gets the upper hand on the snake one day. I'm living in a place if I can see his heel print on that serpent's head. Today, Jesus, I'm praying that you help us to step back into a place where we value knowing you. To step back into a place where we want to live in God's space surrounded by God. Where we want to live in a place of intimacy with God. Where we long to know what it's like to hear your footsteps hit the ground. Because we want to walk where you walk. And we want to go where you go. God, this morning, for those of us that maybe are in this place and, and we don't know you, I just want to say to you today, God has made a way 
through Jesus Christ to get rid of all the sin and the shame and the guilt in your life, to give you a hope for a future, to give you a place in heaven. He has already died and he's already made a way for you to be forgiven and all you gotta do today is ask. And if that's you today, I just want you to pray with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've messed it up. I've done things that I don't really want to talk about. Said things that I hope people forget. And I've hurt people. And God, I know ultimately that I've hurt you because I was made for more than what I'm living in. God, I'm praying today that you'll forgive me. I give you my life. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to get to know you. God, I thank you so much for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me. I want to know you. And for some of us today, um, maybe we've just been living in a place of farness. We've been living away from God and God's calling us to intimacy. We're not living where God has allowed us to live. And in that, aren't we really... um, Aren't we really looking down on the sacrifice of Jesus? See, Jesus didn't just come so we wouldn't have to go to hell. He came to make a way that we could be intimate with God. And if we're not taking advantage of that intimacy, are we really doing what God has called us to do? Are we really living in that sacrifice of Jesus? Are we really living in that covering And if that's you today, and if God's saying where are you at today, I just want to invite you to come and pray. You don't have to hide. God took care of shame. And he took care of sin. And he wants you. He emptied heaven out so he could have you.